I would like to welcome you to the workshop series titled God's Financial Wisdom for Young People. The presenter, Tom Copeland, is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom has helped thousands of people learn and apply God's financial principles. Tom is the founder and president of Copeland Financial Ministries, and his financial moments are aired on numerous radio and TV stations. Now, here's Tom teaching God's financial wisdom for young people. I'd like to welcome you to this series titled God's Financial Wisdom for Young People. Although the biblical principles taught in this series can benefit anyone of any age, the practical application, including the real-life case studies, will be focused on the financial challenges that young people face. By young people, generally I'm referring to people between about the ages of 14 and 29 years of age. So this is session one of eight sessions on the topic, God's Financial Wisdom for Young People. And in this particular session, it's going to be focused on God's wisdom on debt and saving. Of interest, the Bible contains about 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, and an amazing 2,350 verses that deal with money and material things. With respect to the 2,350 references in the Bible to money, only 3% relate to giving, while the other 97% apply to financial topics which most Christians have limited knowledge of. And as a result, many people unknowingly violate biblical financial principles and later suffer the consequences. For example, most understand tithing, because that's often taught in local churches, but they don't know what the Bible says on topics such as debt, saving, how to get out of debt, godly versus worldly perspective on money, and God's admonition to plan ahead. In Proverbs 21.5 it says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. In addition, many people don't understand about God's warnings of the dangers of debt and His admonition to us to plan and save for future needs. I'd like you to look at uh, a warning here on, on the screen. What I have, I'd suggest go on every credit card. You know with cigarette um, packages, they, they have this strong warning on the package that uh, smoking is dangerous to your health. I would like to see this go on every credit card where it says, warning, misuse, not use of the credit card, but misuse of this credit card is dangerous to your financial, emotional, marital, spiritual, and physical health. In other words, when people misuse credit cards, when they buy things they cannot, cannot afford, uh, with money they don't have and they accumulate debt, not only is it going to negatively impact their finances, but also it's going to stress them out emotionally. Uh, they're going to have sleepless nights. It's going to stress their marriage for sure if they're married. And it's going to cause them to focus on their financial problems as opposed to focusing on their relationship with God and things of eternal value. And it can also affect your physical health as well. So people have to be very careful with credit cards. Nothing wrong with having a credit card, but you got to make sure you use it only by um, needs, ideally, and pay it off each month. So um, I'd say this. Statistics show that the average person spends about 20 to 25% more with credit, and most people carry a balance on their credit cards. Let's assume that they have a balance of $25,000, which is quite common in, in this country, and uh, assume the interest rate is 20%, which is quite common. That means they're spending about $5,000 a year. And if they make that a lifestyle, if they make that a habit, and they do it over 50 years, that's $250,000 of God's money that's been wasted. That is bad stewardship. And there's not going to be any uh, rewards in heaven for doing that. And unfortunately, lots of students uh, complete post-secondary post ed education with lots of debt. And it's often... When students attend post-secondary, university or college, 
Uh, the credit card companies are there. They show up. They offer the students credit cards. They're not trying to do you a favor. What they're trying to do is get you in the habit of using a credit card because they know you'll spend 20 to 25 percent more. They know you're not likely going to pay it off each month, and they're going to make some horrendous uh, loan shark interest rates on what they charge you. So, uh, it, often young people uh, they start using a credit card quite freely when they're young, and they just continue for the rest of their life. Now, it doesn't have to be that way, and I'm warning young people, nothing wrong with having a credit card. Use it wisely, use it for needs, and make sure you can pay it off each month. And if you can't pay it off one month, stick it in the drawer, leave it at home, and don't take it with you. Or going forward, just use cash or a debit card. So here's uh, some of the things I'd like to talk about, what the Bible says on debt. The first point is if you borrow money, God says you must pay it back. Psalms 37.21 says, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Interesting comparison here. What the Bible is saying, if you borrow money, it's a sin if you don't pay it back. And it makes a comparison. The righteous person, the implication here is not only pays their debts, but they actually give, they go the second mile and give when in situations they don't have to. And Romans 13.8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding. In Proverbs 22.7, God warns that the borrower is servant to the lender. This is a key one, borrower is servant to lender. Here's an example of a young person becoming a servant to the lender. That is limiting their future options. Here's some examples. The student cannot obtain further education but must work full time in order to service their debts. And um, I, I think of uh, Bible school, uh, this applies even to Bible school students and seminary students. I think I met with a, a president uh, a number of years ago of a Bible school and seminary. And he had told me one of the things that concerned him about young people accumulating debt in post-secondary was often many of them had felt led by the Lord to go into ministry full-time, but when they completed Bible school or seminary, they had so much debt, they were forced to work at a secular full-time job, which paid more than the ministry job, and in order to pay off their debts. And he said most of them never actually got into full-time ministry. So that can limit uh, your options in that respect. Also, if you ever miss any payments, you're going to have a bad credit rating, and that can negatively impact all kinds of things, including even job opportunities. Many employers today, especially for full-time permanent placement, um, many employers are, ask, are doing a credit check, and if you've got a bad credit rating, you could miss a job opportunity. I've seen that happen to many young people. The accumulation of debts long-term, most young people don't think about this, but long-term, they can negatively impact your future marriage relationship. How? When you and your spouse go for your first mortgage, um, if you've had a lot of debt and you haven't paid it on time, you got a bad credit rating, you're, you're probably going to get turned down. You're not going to be able to borrow for a house. You may not even be able to rent a place, as many landlords are doing credit checks before they, they rent a, a house or an apartment to someone. Like I said, you may miss some job opportunities. And further, debt brought into a marriage can cause all kinds of stress as the spouse with little or no debt feels cheated and deceived. And uh, I'd encourage you to um, check out session five of this series, where, which is called Biblical Advice for Engaged and Newly Married Couples. And I explain in more detail the negative impact that the accumulation of debt and bringing it into a marriage can cause on the marriage relationship and how it can easily destroy the marriage. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. So the second point I'd like to make is what does God promise in Matthew chapter 6? Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Young person, um, some of your needs would be things like food, basic clothing, accommodation, tuition fees, that kind of stuff. But your wants and desires, which God doesn't promise to meet, um, would be eating out, entertainment, holiday trips, a new smartphone or laptop every six months, designer clothes, 
etc. You can pray and let God direct you, but so often I find when I sit down with young people, often they don't show up in my office for some biblical counsel until they're in their mid to late 20s, and they've already accumulated a lot of debt. Often if uh, I'll encourage them, go back through where you spent money over the last several years, your credit cards, your bank statements, and, and they'll find that um, 30, 40, 50, sometimes 60% of the money they spent was on wants and desires and not needs. In other words, they, they only accumulate, they accumulated t twice as much debt as they really needed to. And actually, if they had to work uh, in the summers and work part-time during the year, they probably could have done it with and, and finished with little or no debt. But uh, lots of people, lots of young people are buying things on credit that they really don't need. What did God promise the people of Israel if they fully obeyed Him? This is an amazing scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands I give you today, the Lord will open his, the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty, to send rain in your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. What a promise God has made to His people. You follow me, you do things my way, which includes managing money God's way. I'm going to make you a lender, not a borrower. That's amazing, but very few people follow that today because they're not following the biblical financial principles, generally because they find they, they don't know what they are. Um, now it goes on in Deuteronomy chapter 28, starting at verse 15. However, if, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. The alien who lives among you will rise higher and higher. You will sink lower and lower. He will lend to you and you will, lend, you will not lend to him. In other words, if you don't follow God's financial principles in managing money, you're going to end up being in debt. And that's the case with most young people today. And uh, I'm going to give some case, real-life case studies a little bit later. And so often it's not necessary to have debt or it's not necessary to have as much debt. Uh, and I'll, I'll give some real-life examples. What's the key biblical principle provided in, in this scripture? This is James chapter 4, 13 to 15 where it says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now you may think you're not going to be in business, but in a matter of fact, you're going to be working for a business, probably, more than likely. And the key point in this scripture is if it is the Lord's will. We need to discern what God's will is before we make any major decision at all, including any major financial decision. You need to pray and discern what God wants you to do. Read His Word before you make any major financial decision. And most people don't do that. And you also need to discern what does God want you to have in terms of an ongoing lifestyle. Because some young people are living a lifestyle that's actually quite a bit more expensive than what they need. They're, they're, they're going out, eating out, and entertainment, going on holiday trips, and a number of things that they just don't need and can't afford. Here's a question. Can you identify anywhere in Scripture where God directed someone to borrow money in order for God to meet a need? Can you think of that? Is there anywhere that God directed uh, someone in Scripture to borrow money for God to meet the need? Think about that. I can tell you you're not going to come up with anything. I've searched the Scriptures. It's not there. Throughout Scripture, the pattern throughout Scripture is for God to meet needs with no debt. That's the pattern. And uh, here's some examples in the Bible of where God met needs without the assistance of a lender. First of all, God provided food and manna and water to the Israelites during the 40 years in the desert, Exodus chapter 16. Working through Elijah, God miraculously provided oil to the widow to enable her to pay her debts, 2 Kings chapter 4. God used ravens to feed Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17. And working through Elijah, God provided flour and oil to the widow and her son during the famine, 1 Kings chapter 17. And Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, and there were even 12 
baskets of food left over. King David said in Psalms 37:25, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. And I can say this, since 1982, I've counseled hundreds of young people and it is quite possible for a young person to complete university or college with little or no debt and to manage their finances according to biblical principles and experience God's peace and God's provision in the area of finances. Before borrowing any money, which includes putting something on your credit card, which is a form of debt, uh, you should prayerfully ask the following questions. Is this purchase a necessity? I think of Philippians 4.19 where Paul said, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Notice that God said he'd meet our needs. He didn't say God in the bank or God in the credit card company. He said God would meet our needs as we put him first. Number two, have you prayed and asked God for his wisdom, James 1.5, in his specific direction? Psalms 32.8, God's promise to instruct us. In Psalms 32.8, he said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Number three, have you given God a chance to provide the cash or a better alternative? I think of Isaiah 64.4, which says, God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So sometimes we need to wait. Um, sometimes you may have the right idea, but the timing may not be right. Number four, have you developed a budget to ensure you can afford the loan payments? If you're borrowing for something, whether it be student loans or, or whatever, and maybe for some young people they're buying a car, when they're quite young, have you done a budget to make sure you can afford the loan payments and, and meet them on time? Be careful of re debt restructuring, such as uh, borrowing money on your line of credit, could be a student line of credit or a regular line of credit, to pay off credit cards. Lots of people do that, and often they think that they've solved their financial problems. Uh, actually, sometimes the bank will even tell them that. I can solve your financial problems with the excessive debt on your credit cards. I'll give you this uh, line of credit. Yes, the, the line of credit interest rate is generally less than the credit card rate. That's good, but the problem is you didn't treat the you didn't deal with the problem. The underlying problem is that you're spending more than you're making and you're accumulating debt. You have to deal with that. You have to exercise the discipline to make sure you don't spend so much in the future so you don't accumulate so much debt. And many people do this many, many times, um, two, three, four, five times. I've seen it over a 10-year period. And uh, they, they don't realize, even after they've done it the first time, that, um, that the problem was they were spending too much on their credit cards, so they got to exercise that discipline. Next, before you make any major financial decision, are you experiencing God's peace? Have you prayed about it and are you experiencing God's peace in the area of finances, and as Jesus talked about in John 14, 27? And finally, have you discerned God's specific will before you make a major financial decision? As it says in Luke 22:42, Jesus said, Not my will, but yours be done. So here's the summary. The biblical perspective is minimal debt or no debt. The worldly perspective is to use debt freely, which generally results in a lot of debt. The next thing I'd like to talk about is the importance of saving. What is the key biblical principle provided in Proverbs 21:20? The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Think about that. The, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. I can tell you, most people in this country and around the world fall into the foolish category. That is, um, they spend all the regular income when they have an une unexpected expenditure, like an automobile repair or any type of unexpected expenditure that could come up. Um, they're forced into debt. They're forced to use their credit card. And, and uh, so often, uh, people, they're, they're not saving for the future needs. And so they're, they're, they're basically going to suffer the consequences in, in due course. In uh, Luke chapter 14, Jesus Christ admonished us to plan for future expenses, which necessitates saving. Jesus said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? 
For if he lays a foundation and he is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. My recommendations for a student, develop an annual budget, save as much as you can from your summer job in order to cover expenses during the school term, and also work part-time during the school year so you can cover the other expenses. The next comment I'd make is God's perspective, don't fall into temptation. Today, easy credit, student loans, student lines of credit, credit cards, personal lines of credit, 0% financing on car loans, they create a huge temptation to buy now and pay later. What I encourage you to do, identify your area of weakness and claim 1 Corinthians 10.13 where Paul said, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, God will provide a way out so you can stand up under it. In other words, if eating out, entertainment, that kind of stuff, uh, holiday trips are, are your area of temptation, stay away from those things. Just uh, designer clothes, stay away from the shopping mall. Um, new smartphones, stay away from those stores. Uh, don't go there. Uh, if those are your area of temptation, just stay, avoid those areas of temptation. Here's something to think about. I'm going to challenge your thinking for a minute. God's perspective is to save for future needs, as opposed to the world's perspective, which is to buy now and pay later. Since God is in control, the Lord has established His throne in the heavens. His sovereignty rules over all, Psalms 103:19. And since God, not the bank or a credit card company, has promised to meet our needs as we put Him first, Philippians 4:19, Paul said, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Is it not reasonable then for Christians, students, to trust God to meet their needs rather than relying on credit cards, student lines of credit, and other loans? And the answer is yes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. So here's a summary on saving. The biblical perspective is to use minimal debt and save regularly for future needs, and be content with God's provision and timing. The worldly perspective is to buy now and pay later, or the concept, uh, the, wor the world's perspective is smart people use other people's money. I can tell you smart people don't use other people's money. Smart people use as little debt as possible and pay it off as quickly as possible. So here's some common real-life examples. A biblical approach taken by Mr. Wise versus a worldly approach taken by Mr. Unwise. Mr. Wise is in the habit of saving for future needs, generally buys only what he needs, saved for education costs and completes college or university with little or no debt, Drives a used car with no debt, saves a significant down payment for a home and pays down the mortgage as soon as possible, buys furniture, sometimes used for cash, lives within a budget, and uses a credit card carefully, pays it off each month, and incurs no interest charges. On the other hand, Mr. Unwise, who follows a worldly approach, generally does the following. This applies to students, applies to adults, uh, older people, applies to almost everybody. Generally never saves, just borrows and buys makes financial decisions based upon personal desires, not needs, completes post-secondary with a lot of debt, finances the purchase of a new car every three to four years, buys home with very little down payment and takes on a large mortgage, furnishes home with debt, has no budget, generally runs a balance on his credit card. Here's the recommended memory verses I'd have for this uh, session. Proverbs 22.7, the borrower is servant to the lender. And Proverbs 21.20, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Here's uh, uh, some case studies. Uh, by the way, these are all real-life case studies that I give you. Uh, the names have been selected at random, but they're case studies, real-life situations that I've seen uh, over the last four decades, uh, and, and I've seen hundreds of, of these different types. Mark is 22 years of age. He completed university three months ago. For the first time in his life, he sat down and assessed his financial position. He was astonished at how much he owed. 
During his university years, he, he had accumulated debts in the amount of $40,000. Mark could not believe it, so he obtained copies of his personal bank statements, credit card statements, and did a detailed review of all his expenditures during university. As he totaled up his expenses, he was shocked by the total funds that he spent over the last four years and so much on unnecessary expenditures. These included eating out, entertainment, smartphones, holidays, downloading music, designer clothes, etc. Like most university students, Mark financed the above expenditures, including tuition fees and other costs, with student loans, student lines of credit, and credit cards. Mark considered obtaining further education, but realized that further education was no longer an option because he must work full-time in order to pay down his debts. Mark is really starting to feel the pressure from his debts as he has not been able to obtain a full-time job, and he and his fiancée plan to get married next year, but Mark has no idea as to how they will pay for the wedding, the honeymoon, and how they will come up with their first and last month's rent on their apartment. Unfortunately, they will have to defer the wedding. Another university graduate, Peter, took a very different approach. Before and during his years at university, he studied and applied God's Word on finances. He learned that the Bible warns of the dangers of debt and that God admonishes us to save for future needs. As a result, during high school, Peter diligently saved a significant portion of his earnings from his part-time jobs. In the summers prior to each university year, Peter prepared a budget of his next year's expenditures, including tuition fees, books, transit, and a modest amount for entertainment. From his summer job, he saved enough money to pay for his tuition fees and books, and during the school term, he worked diligently at his part-time job in order to pay for the other expenses. During his years at university, Peter spent his money very wisely, almost solely on needs, not wants and desires. Now that Peter has completed university, Peter praises the Lord for God's wisdom in the area of finances. Peter has no debt, has the option of obtaining further education, including Bible school, if that is God's will. Further, even though Peter was unable to get a full-time job right away, he's not feeling the stress of any indebtedness, and he feels confident that he and his fiancée can get married next year as she has no debt as well. So here's my first question. As indicated, Peter has the option of obtaining further education, including possibly attending Bible school, if the Lord were to lead him that way. Mark, on the other hand, does not have that flexibility. What's the biblical truth in Proverbs 22.7 that Mark is learning the hard way? And Proverbs 22.7 says the borrower is servant to the lender. Here's my comments. Uh, think about it, but I think it's pretty obvious. Mark is learning from experience that indeed the borrower does become a servant to the lender in that the borrower's first obligation is to service one's debts. And therefore, because of his debts, Mark's future options are limited and he's experiencing significant stress. In addition, Mark and his fiancée will have to defer their wedding day due to the lack of funds and excessive debt. Whose approach do you think to managing money is more common today, Mark or Peter's? I can tell you that surveys show 80 to 90 percent of the people in this country and, and pretty much around the world have no savings. They use debt frequently. And so Mark's approach to managing money is very common today. Peter's is rare. But God provides, again, this key scripture uh, that I think is so important, Proverbs 21:20. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. That's the TLB version. If you look at the NIV version, it says, In the house of the wise, there is a storage of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. So let's suppose that Mark continued with his mindset of buy now and pay later. That is, he continued to use debt freely. And let's suppose he married a young lady with a similar worldly mindset. Where do you think they would likely end up after five years of marriage? I can tell you from experience, seeing hundreds of cases over the past 40-plus uh, years, 
that Mark and his fiancée would likely continue to borrow and buy and end up in serious financial trouble. For example, they'll likely buy a house with little or down payment and take on a big mortgage and probably borrow the down payment from their parents. They'll buy new furniture on credit. They'll purchase one or two cars with 0% financing. They will become a servant to the lender, experience significant financial stress, which will negatively impact their marriage relationship, their relationship with the Lord, and possibly even health problems. So what are the biblical principles that Mark violated? Provide a reference to Scripture if you can. Just think about that for a minute. What biblical principles did he violate? The first one is he purchased things that he did not need. God promised to meet our needs, but not necessarily our wants and desires. Matthew chapter 6, 31 to 33. Mark used debt freely and did not heed to God's warnings regarding debt, Proverbs 22, 7. Mark was not content with God's provision and lived beyond his means. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. He wasn't content with what he had and what God's provision was. Mark did not plan ahead and save for future needs, Proverbs 21.5. Mark fell into the temptation of easy credit, and he should have claimed God's promise in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that I quoted earlier. He should have avoided his areas of temptation. So here's the question, next question. What biblical principles did Peter follow? Peter, remember, was the other fellow who, who saved and ended up uh, completing university with no debt. He managed his money according to biblical principle. But what were the specific biblical principles that he followed? And if you can, provide a reference to Scripture. Here's my answer, suggested solution. Peter managed money according to biblical principles, and God blessed him, Psalms chapter 1. Peter managed his money wisely, only buying needs and not wants and desires. Peter learned to be content. That's a big one. He learned to be content, as Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 4, where Paul said, For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Peter learned to be content with God's provision. Peter developed and implemented a budget, as God admonishes us to do in the parable of the tower. Peter saved regularly for future expenses. I can say this, um, having counseled hundreds of young people over uh, the last number of years, that, um, that most people in general, including young people, unknowingly violate biblical financial principles and later suffer the consequences. And one of the negative consequences is the financial stress can easily destroy their future marriage, which most people have, um, have no understanding of. And it can just, just, just put you in such a bind and limit your future options and cause so many problems. You want to avoid that and you want to experience God's peace in the area of finances, as Jesus talked about in John 14, 27. And the only way you can experience God's peace is to manage money according to biblical principles. I would encourage all young people, if you're thinking you might get married one day, to look at session five of this series, uh, biblical advice for engaged couples, and even for newly married couples. Uh, it's really important that couples understand and apply biblical principles in managing money. I'd like to now um, close in prayer. Father, I pray that you would uh, just touch the hearts of every young person that's listening uh, to this, um, this show and uh, that you would cause them through your spirit and your word to um, make some changes with respect to the way they manage money and to follow up and to learn what your word says on finances and uh, to develop and implement a budget to uh, at least, even if they complete university or college, to have as little debt as possible and then pay it off as quickly as possible. And I pray you'll just guide and direct them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to learn more about God's Word on finances, be sure to check out the numerous resources available at copelandfinancialministries.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Bible Finance.
If you would like to learn more about God's Word on finances, be sure to check out the numerous resources available at copelandfinancialministries.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Bible Finance.